Hello and welcome to the Facts Over Fandom show. I am your host, Brandon Podgorski. Welcome in. What a great time of a year as a sports fan. I feel like I say that a lot um, throughout the year just because, you know, I really enjoy watching sports. It doesn't matter what they are, uh, but it's starting to get cool up here and where I'm at, northern Indiana. It's starting to get cool, starting to get wet. So we know we're going to be stuck in our homes for the next few months, and we have got playoff baseball right now. Football is in full swing. We've got NHL, NBA starting their preseasons. It is a fantastic time of year. So if you have to be stuck indoors for the next few months, we've got a buffet of sports to keep you uh, warm and, and keep you company while we get through this winter. I'm just shivering thinking about it. You know, I, I love it here. I love Indiana. I love the Midwest. Um, family are here. Friends are here. But, you know, about every time, every year in about December, January, February, my wife and I kind of look at each other like, why are we still here? It's snowy. It's cold. There's places in this country that are warm year round. Uh, but it's okay because I got sports to keep us warm. College basketball is going to be tipping off. Already started their practices here pretty soon. So, you know, as a, as a former college coach, really excited for that. And how about our interview last week? If you did not check out the show last week, and um, numbers on, on YouTube have looked really good with the show um, with Coach Maz, amazing interview. If you have got, if you're a parent with a student who might have an opportunity to play at the next level, whether it be D1, D3, NAI, whatever it be, JUCO, if you're a student thinking about playing at the next level, if you're a coach and you've got a player that you think might be able to play at the next level, you have got to check out last week's episode. Amazing interview with Wayne Mazzioni, who was uh, a D1 college coach for a long time. He now runs recruiting seminars and helps kids get recruited. Uh, it just, there's so much maybe misinformation out there with, um, and I don't know the difference. You hear that in the media, misinformation, disinformation. I don't know the difference. I'm just going to say it's misinformation. I don't really know. I don't care. Uh, but you've got a lot of misinformation out there on, um, you know, what it takes to get recruited and what do you have to do? You know, go back and listen to somebody who actually did it. His livelihood was recruiting and don't get it wrong. I mean, you got to coach and, and you got to win, but part of that you got to get in players, and as the old saying goes, it's not about the X's and the O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's, and you have got to get players into your program. Well, that's what he did, and now that's what he's doing, helping people get recruited. So go check that out. You can listen to our podcast. Spotify is kind of the preferred place for um, the, the Facts Over Fandom podcast, but you can check us out on Apple, check us out on Google, Amazon, all those places, and you can go watch us on YouTube. Now, I understand. I am a one-man band. I do not have a team of people helping me out here. I do I do this show for about 35, 40 minutes a week when I have some time uh, outside of work. And I, I wish I was a creative person where I could put up overlays and all these other things onto to YouTube and, and Rumble where you can watch us there. Um, but I understand it's just me. However, it's a good place to go. It's I think Google's the or wait, Google, uh YouTube is the second largest um search engine in the world. So you can find a ton of great information. And that's what I hope with this show that we're doing. We're giving you good information. You know, part of it's vain because I enjoy talking about sports, but you know, this show, we're looking at the intersection of sport, business, culture. So how can I explain the why behind what happens in sport? 
And that's what I hope you get out of this show. So today's show going to be maybe a, just a little bit different. You know, we're not going to necessarily explain the why, but maybe kind of explain a little bit more of the how. So we're going to talk about leadership in sport. And this is something that I could do an entire podcast on is leadership in sport. Um, but what I want to do with today's show, especially if you're in you know, some type of management leadership position, or, you know, if you're a coach, we're probably looking at it more from the view of a coach. I want to talk about leadership and, and a little bit about leadership theory. Um, it's something that's very interesting to me. Um, you know, I, I've taken tons of sports psychology and leadership classes, both in undergrad and through my master's. And right now, my doctorate, is, working on my doctorate is in sport leadership. And, you know, obviously it's it's not as important as people who are researching things, whether it be, you know, I, I don't know, economics or, you know, um, biology and curing cancer and all that. Um, but, you know, there's a it's there's kind of an, an art and a science to leading teams. And while I might not be that person who's making groundbreaking research on stuff that's really important, that's going to affect society. You do need leaders in these organizations to kind of assemble the troops, rally the troops, and get them all marching in the right direction. And there's ways to do that. And sometimes what happens in leadership is that your best employee, okay, you're my top performing employee or, you know, on a team, my best player, okay, you are a leader now. Well, are they equipped to be a leader? Are they going to do more harm than good? You know, I've had this as a coach, and I was talking about this in one of my classes just just yesterday, where I had a really good player that we coach. You know, um, this person was was an amazing player, went on to play professional basketball, um, but a, a little introverted. You know, not so much to where they couldn't speak or, or where they were afraid of being around people, but you know, when they were on the court. Pretty, pretty quiet, just went about their business, played really well, and that was it. You know, putting leadership, and, and I'm being vague with, with the terms. I don't want to call this this person out. I've coached both men and, and women, so I, I don't want to kind of, I don't want to say names. I don't want to say uh, what gender. Um, I don't want, uh, again, I don't want this person to be called out because they would probably know who they are. Um, but uh, amazing player, amazing, amazing player. Um, just a, as a leader, I don't know if they could handle that burden. So this person led by example, you know, um, working hard, doing the right things, but they were not a vocal leader and to put the mantle of team captain or leader onto this particular person would have been really tough. I, I think it would have um it, it would have hurt their play just because that would have been too much. So there was another person on the team who was a good player, not as good, but good player, did the right thing and accepted that mantle of leadership. Right. Not our best player, but somebody who worked hard and other people on the team looked up to. And they were the one who, hey, that probably needs to be our captain. Right. And it took pressure off our best player. They could just go out and play. And that other player who liked 
um, leading the team, it was a natural fit for them. And we played really well. And um, we had a, a couple of years where we were a really doggone good team, nationally ranked team. So um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we get into that, though, I always want to say um, a special thank you to our friends at Crossroads Shirts. Right? I want to bring up Crossroads Shirts here for us and just check out the promo code that they've got going on with Crossroad Shirts. There they are. Crossroad Shirts. Go to crossroadshirts.etsy.com. That's C-R-O-S-S-R-O-A-D-S-S-H-I-R-T-S, crossroadsshirts.etsy.com. Use the promo code FOF10, FOF10. Use that at checkout, you're going to get 10% off your order. They've got shirts for schools. If you're a runner or an endurance athlete, they've got shirts there. Um, they're they're soft. I, I've got um, a hoodie and I've got a t-shirt. The t-shirt is is soft and it fits so and it fits great. You know, you got some t-shirts that are like really baggy and they just don't look good and they don't flatter you. Or you got some that don't fit true to size and they're just like too tight or, you know, maybe they fit in the chest, but the arms don't fit. No, 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 no. These t-shirts, they're soft. They fit great. Um, the sweatshirts, so soft, so warm. Like I said, we've got the cool season coming up. Um, you know, if you're in between sizes on the sweatshirts, I would say go up a size because, um, you know, they might fit just a little bit small, uh, but they're great. They're fantastic. I, I love the shirts. Um, so go check them out. Crossroadshirts.etsy.com. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook at Crossroad Shirts. Use the promo code FOF10. You're going to get 10% off your order. Okay, so let's get into leadership. Right. Specifically, we're talking about sports leadership. And um, I told you I'm going to come from the view probably of uh, of a coach. And, and I want to talk about the four approaches to studying leadership. And there's one that we're really going to park our car and we're going to take our time with. But I think it's appropriate to kind of have an idea of where we've come from with leadership research over time. And, and the first one, I'm going to kind of be looking at my second screen here if I'm looking off camera. Um, the first one is the trade approach, right, where leaders have these certain traits. And so if I were to ask you and just think about it, what are the traits of a great leader? You know, think about it. Just think about three in your head right now. What are three traits that a great leader needs? Do you have some time? Is that enough time? <laughs> I don't know. I can't hear you. You know, I'm recording this. So I'm just assuming you had enough time. <laughs> but people might say that, you know, a great leader is uh, knowledgeable about their subject. Um, a great leader is passionate. Uh, they're inspirational. Um, maybe they're intentional. Uh, maybe a, a great leader um, is, is strategic and they can set a decision, right? And these are all great traits, but leadership is so much more than traits. It doesn't mean that these traits aren't good and that these traits aren't important. And yes, there are certain traits that you need if you want to be an effective leader, but we all have different traits, right? We're all different people. You know, I know for myself, I like working one-on-one -on -one with people. I'm really good individually with people. If you would put me in a crowded room and say, go work the room, I would struggle with that. Now, I can give speeches. I can connect with people individually, but I'm not 
that type of person who's going to go and work a room and get a hundred business cards before I leave. I also know that I'm not the type of person that's extraordinarily affectionate. It doesn't mean that I don't care about people. I care deeply about people. I just don't have, I, I don't know how to show it very well. I get uncomfortable with showing it. And so, you know, as a leader, if I'm put into a situation where I have followers who need more affection, who need um, constant affirmation. I'm probably going to struggle in that type of situation. So I'm going to need to know going in, what do my followers need and how can I best help them? So, you know, I've got traits that would probably line up really well working in sport. You know, in my experience working in sport, I'm working with people who are highly intrinsically motivated. So they don't need a leader to be looking over their shoulder or necessarily, um, you know, making sure that they get their work done. So that would line up perfect for a guy like me. So I've got traits that work really well in some situations, but not all situations. So that's why we can't say, hey, as a leader, you've got to have XYZ traits. And then that makes you a good leader, right? Because we're all different. We're all individuals. So, you know, you can think of some characteristics that are common in great leaders, but there's no particular set of personality traits that make somebody successful, right? Um, it has to kind of match up with the situation and, and your followers. So, you know, the trade approach, and then also with the trade approach, um, one of the things that came about through leadership research, and we're talking about pre-1950s, is that there was this idea that great leaders were born, they're not made. You know, you're just born a great leader. And a lot of that came from, because great leaders are charismatic. You have to be a charismatic, outgoing personality, and that's what's going to make you a great leader. Well, why did that change in the 1950s? Well, coming out of World War II, there was a pretty eccentric, charismatic leader in Germany at the time, who I don't think any of us would say was a good, effective leader. He took over a country, became chancellor, didn't use that power well, obviously. And so just because you're charismatic, doesn't mean you're a good leader. Think about Colts. Would you say Jim Jones is a good leader? He got a lot of people to follow him, follow him all the way down to um, South America, followed him to death. Right? Although what happened at Jonestown, I think, is greatly distorted. It wasn't so much a mass suicide as much as it was more of a, of a slaughter. So he was a charismatic guy. He got people to follow him. But was he a good leader? I don't think so. You know, he certainly wasn't a, a, an effective leader for taking people um, to, to better heights. Right? So we've got to be a little bit careful just saying, yeah, great leaders are born. And that person who's charismatic, they're the ones who need to go be your leader. Same example I was talking about my basketball team, right? Um, you know, we had to find that leader who was a little bit more outgoing, um, but wasn't the most charismatic person in the world, I would say. Same thing with our best player. She certainly wasn't charismatic, but she led in the way that she went about her business and other players saw that, right? So be careful with that that thought that your, your leaders have to be really outgoing. What you want to do is find a leader who fits your situation or as a leader yourself, you know, sometimes, 
you know, this will probably be my dissertation is looking at sales departments in sport. And we make that person who's that top seller, we make them the manager and the leader. Well, they may be an amazing seller. It doesn't mean that they're a good leader, right? So we need to train them on leadership. So that's number one, that's the trade approach. Number two is behavioral approach where we look at behaviors, not traits. What are the behaviors of effective leaders? Um, is Do effective leaders, are they the first ones in and last ones out? Right? Do they um, focus on building relationships? Right? Or do they let people just kind of do their own thing? Right? And so leaders in sport, you know, when we're talking about instruction and evaluation, you know, effective coaches, they focus on the positive while providing clear feedback and technical instruction. Right? So, you know, if your behavior as a coach is just constantly negative, 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 negative especially with today's players, we're finding that doesn't work. Um, it doesn't mean that everything is positive. And what you want to do is make sure that you're praising effort, especially with youth athletes, right? It's different as we get to elite athletes and pros, but your behavior there is that, you know, we want to be known as, as a coach who's positive and is going to help you, um, learn a skill. And especially, like I said, working with youth athletes and I'll say, you know, youth through, through high school, um, we're rewarding effort, not so much outcome, right? Um, especially, you know, early in the year where you're learning new strategies, you're learning new skills, you know, they're not going to get it right away. So it's a process and let's continue to encourage them because if everything is negative, 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 what players start to do is that they have fear of failure. Now I'm playing because I don't want to get in, I don't want to get benched. I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want to get in trouble. And what happens is they can't play as loose. Muscles start to tension. Um, they don't play um, as loose as they would somebody who's relaxed, you know. And now with that though, we've got to be a little bit careful. I, I, when we're talking about with elite athletes, though, it's a little bit different. They want a little bit more kind of autocratic style and they want coaches to to challenge them and coach them because they want to get better. You know, you think about like the average NFL career is three and a half years. Man, I don't have a lot of time to make my money. Like, I need you to get me better. I need you to get me better right now. Right. So it starts to become a little bit different depending on who you're coaching. That would be your behavior on um, you know, as a coach. But, you know, for the most part, and, and again, I'm not saying that everything has to be positive. If players are disobeying you, if they're breaking team rules, if they need discipline, then obviously you have to give some negative reinforcement there, right? If you've been working on a skill or a strategy for a long amount of time and they're just not getting it, um, there might need to be a little bit of negative reinforcement there. Now, it doesn't mean you, you're nasty and it doesn't mean that you berate them and you're sarcastic to them or anything like that, but you do what you think is appropriate in that situation to move that player forward. So that would kind of be your behaviors, what it is that you actually do. So trait who you are, behaviors, what you do. And then the third one would be the situational approach where effective leadership, it's more dependent on the characteristics of the situation than the traits and behaviors 
of the leader. Now, this approach isn't necessarily widely used. Um, so it'd be kind of like, you know, I, I'm acting different in one situation as opposed to the other. Um, but it does, you know, th this approach is kind of, it, it does help us to kind of draw a distinction between your traits, your behaviors, and the situation. Because some of us act a little bit different depending on the situation. And that might not necessarily be a good thing. Maybe we're trying to pose a little bit. Maybe we've got a little bit of imposter syndrome. Uh, maybe we're in a, a situation where we don't think we really belong there. Maybe we're in a job that we didn't think we're qualified for, but somehow we got it. Right? And we try to act different than what we really are to try to fit in or, or try to perform. And maybe it ends up hurting our performance when really they hired you for who you are, right? They didn't hire you for what they think that you need to be. They hired you for who you are. And so sometimes a situational approach, it's not the best approach to look at, you know, something, an example of, of a situational approach to leadership. You, you kind of take a guy like, like Dennis Rodman, who um, as a follower when he was on the Pistons, six man of the year, amazing defensive player, obviously amazing rebounder, right? And he did not need the mantle of leadership. He had really strong leadership. So when he was with really strong leadership, he performed great when he was with the Pistons. But then he goes to the Spurs, and when he's counted on to be the leader, can't handle it. Right. So with strong leadership in that situation, toes the line, amazing player. When he's counted on differently to be the leader and be the star of the team, kind of breaks down. And they had good leadership. I mean, they had good players, your Robinson, Duncan, those guys. Um, but it wasn't that strong leadership situation that he had in Detroit. Leadership in, in San Antonio is a little bit different, maybe a little bit more hands off, maybe a little bit um a little bit kind of kinder, gentler, right? And that isn't what he needed. He needed strong leadership. And so you saw he got in some trouble in San Antonio. The hair starts to get dyed. He starts doing crazy stuff off the court. He's getting in fights with players on the court. And then he goes to Chicago where you're with the ultimate alpha dog in Jordan. He's still Dennis. He's still Dennis Rodman. Um, but you got Jordan as the alpha dog. You got Phil Jackson as a guy who understands that, you know, Dennis kind of needs to be Dennis and I'm going to give him a little bit longer leash. Um, and he starts to come back into the fold a little bit and then they go on and win three NBA finals. Right. So that would be situational leadership there. And then the last one, the one that I want to park my car on for a second, and I want to share this with you. This is, and if you're checking us out on YouTube or rumble, you can see this, right? This is the interactional framework for analyzing leadership. And I came across this a number of years ago when I was doing some research and in writing a paper. And I've come across a lot of theories with leadership. And this is the one I always come back to that I think really explains leadership the best. And if you're if you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, you can see this. If not, you're listening. Um, we've got a Venn diagram where think about three circles. We got a circle for the leader, we got a circle for the situation, and we got a circle for the follower. Right? And they all come together and um, connect together where the leader, follower, and situation all connect together. You got leader and follower connect together and leader and situation connect together and follower and situation connect together. And when we think about leadership, again, there's this thought great leaders are, are born, they're not made. Well, that's not true. Well, great leaders, they have all these traits. Okay. Well, 
as I've talked about, that's not necessarily true. Um, well, great leaders, these are the behaviors of great leaders. Well, maybe for some, but not for all, right? Well, it really kind of depends on the situation if somebody's going to be a good leader or not. Um, yeah, maybe, but not necessarily, right? Because they all need to come together because all of these affect leadership. So the interactional approach um, where the implications on this is that, one, there's no set of characteristics that ensure successful leaders, right? Characteristics are important. You know, you wouldn't want to be somebody who comes into work every day, like with Eeyore as their spirit animal. I'm like, okay, guys, you know, let's let's make it through, you know, let's let's get just get to five o'clock and thank God it's Friday. Uh, you know, I mean, you can't have that. Right. Um, but there's no set one set of characteristics that ensures a successful leader. And so effective leadership styles or behaviors, they have to fit the specific situation and understand that leadership styles can be changed. So I want to go back to the Bulls and Michael Jordan. And if you watch the Last Dance documentary, when we were all home for COVID um, that summer, uh, one of the things they talked about in there was a situation where Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr get into a fight uh, in practice. So um you know, Phil Jackson um, kind of like purposely was having um, Steve Kerr guard Michael Jordan really hard in practice. And Phil Jackson was making uh, bad calls um, kind of purposely. And Jordan took umbrage to it and pushed Steve Kerr in the chest. Steve Kerr comes back and hits Jordan. And then Jordan comes back and clocks Steve Kerr in the face. Right. Um, and I think Phil Jackson was doing it as a way to kind of get Michael used to tough play and unfair play because back then he had the Jordan rules. I mean, you know, they talk about it, I think, in the uh, Pistons documentary, the 30 for 30, where guys were going to play Jordan really physically and really tough. Um, I think it also he was preparing Steve Kerr for what's going to be expected to be on a team with Michael Jordan. Like you couldn't be some kind of, you know, kindergarten teacher coming in in the bowls. I mean, you had to be tough and you were going to have to go challenge the king. You were probably going to lose, but you need to go challenge him um, and, and show that you could take um, what he could dish out. And so I think he was understood his players and, you know, needed Steve Kerr to understand that he was going to have to challenge Michael to get Michael's respect. And I think Michael needed to see that Steve Kerr wasn't going to back down in order to respect them. And so I want to concentrate on Michael Jordan. So in that situation there, you're taking on the alpha dog and Jordan get, is getting frustrated because of this, because of bad calls are being made. And then obviously Steve Kerr kind of gets into his face, right? And, and won't back down from him. And so Michael being the alpha dog, well, hey man, I, I'm coming back. Like nobody's going to disrespect me. Like this is my team. We're going to do it my way. And I'm just going to see how tough you are. Right. So Michael comes back at him. So as the leader in that situation, you know, alpha dog, hard charging competitor will win at any cost, you know, outside of cheating. Right. It demands everybody give the same amount of um, uh, of effort that he gives. You know, Tom Brady was the same way. He, there's famous stories of him getting into the facility at 5 a.m. before anybody else and, you know, kind of giving guy the guys the looks and stares that, you know, you better get on my level. Right. So, you know, Michael Jordan has all these traits as a leader. 
right? And so we look at the situation. Is that appropriate for that situation? Well, in pro sports, I'd say, yeah, because, you know, guys are trying to win championships. It's really hard to win a championship. You have to be tough. And if you win that championship, I mean, it's one, it's your dream as a, as a kid to win a championship. Um, but two, there's so many great things that come with it and so much more money and endorsement opportunities, right? Fame. Um, so in that situation there, you know, you can't be melancholy. I mean, you have got to be tough. And I think professional athletes understand that professional athletes are used to being coached hard and they're used to sacrifice and they're used to kind of playing the role that they need to play. So a leader in that situation who's hard charging, I would say that makes sense. So we got the leader in situation, right? Well, who are the followers? You know, the followers on that team for the Bulls, they understood Michael could get them to the promised land in that. He's going to be the guy that we count on to score. He's going to be the guy that we count on to, to make the last shot. And I'm willing to give up a little bit of scoring, a little bit of fame, um, you know, a, a little bit of being the all-star, even though I'm one of the best players in the world, I'm willing to give that up to follow this guy because he can take me to where I want to go. So in that framework, Michael Jordan's leadership worked Beautifully, right? Won six NBA titles, six and oh. Now, take that same type of leader, put Jordan and put him as we'll say the the dean of a of a business school at a college. All right. So I, I, I'm a I'm I'm a faculty member at a business school, uh, at a college business school. So he's going to be the dean. Okay? Well, that situation there, it doesn't mean that you can't be demanding. And you can't have high standards for people, but we're working with, you're working in within the framework of higher education. It's a much more collegial setting. You know, um, you might be dealing with faculty members who are very um, accomplished and advanced in their field. So they don't feel the need of having somebody constantly kind of ride them or demand these high things of them because they may be working on things that um, don't necessarily have much to do with um, the particular dean, where the dean will benefit if, you know, the faculty members bring in big grants. So it might be best kind of be a little bit more hands off. Right. And thinking about the followers, you know, in a professional setting like that, um, everybody has their own individual motives. You know, we've got our own individual majors and our own individual classes that we teach. We work together for the benefit of the students, but for the most part, your work is a little bit more individual. So you're not being asked to sacrifice a whole lot for the good of the team. If you work really hard individually and do good things for your students as an individual, it's going to help the school as a whole. So a leader in that situation is more kind of um, looking, how can I support your initiatives and what you're doing? How can I come along beside you and kind of help you advance these things? Because the more that you advance and you help with students, the better it's going to be overall for our department. You wouldn't want to have a leader in that situation like Jordan coming in and ready to fight people because they're not doing things his way, right? Because you're dealing with professionals in their field at that point right there, right? So a leader like that wouldn't work. So if you had a guy like that in Jordan coming in to be a dean of a business school, he would need to recognize, you know, I need to take a different approach. You know, I can still be 
um, myself, you know, and, and demand um, the best and be um, hard charging and worry about results. But at the same time, I need to take a little bit softer, a little bit more collegial approach. And if I do that, um, I'll probably have better backing from my followers because that's what the situation calls for. So that's why I like this interactional framework. And in, in you as a leader, you have got to understand yourself. You got to understand where you're strong, where you're weak, and how that impacts the situation and the followers. And if you can't make those changes and you need to get people around you who complement some of those things and help in those areas. So that's why I think the interactional framework is, is probably the best framework for leadership. So think about that, you know, as yourself, as a coach, uh, if you're, if you've got a team that you're coaching, what traits, behaviors do you bring as a leader? Um, is there anything that you're missing? Do you have any weaknesses? And if you do find an assistant coach who can help you with stuff like that, you know, as an assistant coach, um, I was really good at building individual relationships with players. So if I saw our coaches kind of worried about the team as a whole and kind of in practice coaching the team as a whole and doesn't really have time to instruct individual players, I knew my role is to kind of bring players aside individually. Hey, how you doing? Let me help you with this thing here. You know, I know coach kind of got on you. Let's try it this way. You can do this. You do have the ability. Let's just practice. Let's get it right. All right, great. Now you got it right. Now go back out there and do it, right? And kind of help pick them up. So we're coaches, head coaches are kind of thinking about the broad picture. I think as assistant, you've got a really unique opportunity to help individually with players and having those individual relationships. It's just so, 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 so important in sport and knowing your players as individuals is just really important in sport. And I understand as a head coach, that can be hard because you're almost like a CEO and there's so many other things you have to worry about. So, you know, have good assistants who are going to um, not undercut the coach, right. But help support the coach by supporting the players really well. So there's kind of an overview, a, a short overview on what leadership might look like in sport. Stay tuned for the uncle Brandon segment coming up right now. But let me hit you with some knowledge. All right. Welcome to the Uncle Brandon advice segment where I get to give my opinion. So, you know, the first part of the show, I just kind of like to keep things factual. That's the theme of the show, facts over fandom. The second part, I get to give my opinion on things. And I don't like to do hot takes. And, you know, I don't like to give betting advice or who's going to win what game. I mean, there's a million different places you can go to for that. But uh, I do like to see what's going on, again, at the intersection of sport, business and culture in sport. And, and this one's probably going to lean heavier on the culture. I'm not even really sure um, how, which way to take this, but so, you know, because I want to be respectful to to everybody that's involved. So um, yeah, I'm sure if you're a sports fan, you saw the news. I mean, if you're just a fan of culture, you may have saw, saw the news this week where Trevor Bauer and uh, the former pitcher for, for the Dodgers and the lady, I, I don't know her name off the top of my head, but the lady who was um, accused him of sexual assault and sexual battery um, where their lawsuits against each other, they were suing each other 
they were dismissed and Trevor Bauer can now come out and talk about the case. So a couple of years ago, uh, Trevor Bauer was accused of sexual battery, um, some some pretty heinous um details in the case where, um, you know, he was basically accused of raping and and beating a woman. And he was put on suspension by Major League Baseball. And he eventually went over to um, Bleach Japan and and was playing over there. Um, You know, Major League Baseball did an investigation, gave the suspension. Um, However, there was a legal process that played out and he was not charged. Um, It went to the court and um, the his accuser tried to get a restraining order, which was not granted, which was kind of interesting because restraining order orders are not necessarily difficult to get. And then um, he sued her. Um, she countersued him. And because of that, they were able to go to discovery and, and got some text messages and videos from her phone that basically indicated that um, this this may have, have been a setup and what she said happened may not necessarily have, have happened to the degree that she said that it happened. So uh, again, I, I don't want to litigate it here because I don't know all the facts. I know what I saw um, as far as, you know, what's been posted on social media, but, you know, I only believe maybe about, you know, 10% of what I see. There's always a backstory on this stuff. So I, I'm not going to comment on, on who was wrong, who was right, or, or, or any of that stuff. Um, you know, you can make that decision on your own. Um, what I am going to comment on is maybe sexual, mor- sexual morality and just some advice. Again, this is the Uncle Brandon advice segment. This is advice I would give. I've got nieces and uh, uh, nephews, this is the advice that that I would give them and certainly what I would give my son um, is, you know, people might not like this, but if you really want to protect yourself uh, as a star athlete, as a celebrity, as somebody with a lot of money, um, have some sexual fidelity in your life, you know, get married and be committed to to one person. I mean, that's it. And I know that's old fashioned. And, you know, that may think you may think, well, you know, people should have, you know, the ability to do what they want, what makes them happy. And and, and sure, I mean, you know, um, that that's fine. But, you know, if if you really want to be protected, you know, have fidelity with in the confines of a marriage and protect yourself. You know, people laugh at, at the Billy Graham rule, but it's it's pretty sage advice. Sure, it may be old old fashioned, but, you know, not meeting alone with somebody of the opposite sex in in a room, um, you know, not having your significant other there, your spouse there where there's event with alcohol um, taking place. um, You know, that's it's actually pretty good sage wisdom. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but as an athlete, a celebrity, somebody with money, there are always people who are going to try to target you. And you can see I'm being very uh, general with my language. I'm not just blaming women. I'm not just blaming men. Um, But there are people out there who obviously want to take advantage of you. Um, So why let them? You know, you think about the Tiger Woods situation. You know, this guy is married to a supermodel and still couldn't refrain from um, finding comfort with other women. And, and at that point, you know, I, I you, there's a, a wake of destruction you leave in your path. You know, it's like putting a pebble into a, a pond and you see the ripples going all the way to the shore. Um, you know, it, it destroys your spouse. 
It can destroy your kids. It destroys your image. And for what? You know, one night of of having sex with somebody who who's not your spouse. Like to me, it just doesn't make sense. Now I, I know I, I'm I'm wired different. I'm very happy in my marriage, and and, and I'm committed to that. Um, and I don't have um, beautiful women throwing themselves at me. Now I and I got a beautiful wife who throws herself at me, so I consider myself pretty fortunate there. Um, so I'm good. I don't need anybody else, right? Um, but you know, I, I don't have a lot of money, in it, and I'm not tempted in those ways. Now, I feel like if I did, I would probably be fine, but I've never been in that situation. So, you know, I know it's it's unfair for me to, to maybe be behind the mic and saying, yeah, you shouldn't do this because I wouldn't do it. Um, but I can tell you with a doggone high amount of certainty, I'm not going to do it. And the best way to protect yourself is, again, to be faithful in uh, a marriage and, um, and not commit and not give in to that temptation. Now you take a guy like Trevor Bauer, he's single, you know, single and ready to mingle. And he does have beautiful women probably throwing themselves at him. He's worth 51 mil and he's a pro baseball player. Totally get it. Um, but I would be extraordinarily discerning in who you would allow into your life. And I certainly would not recommend sleeping with somebody that you just met maybe on Tinder or whatever app is out there, right? Date the person, let the process play out. Are they interested in you or are they interested in who you are and everything that goes along with that? And that's a really tough lesson. You know, let's assume that everything Trevor Bauer said in his video this week is true and he was being set up. You know, you you lost your major league career and you had to play overseas for two years. And now your name's synonymous with rape. Just so you could hook up with a random person you met online. Like you say it out loud, it just doesn't make sense. Why? Why Why would you do it? And I understand I'm a man. And and there was a time where I I wasn't married. I, I totally get the drive. I understand it. Like I'm not making fun of them. I'm not, you know, um, thinking I'm I'm righteous and, and holier than art. I'm not. I totally get it. But there's so much to lose. And I guess maybe the, what I would say to my child is think about everything that you can lose and everything you worked so daggone hard to get, right? Like guys who make it to the pros, ladies who make it to the pro, you sacrifice and you work so, so hard. Why would you put that at risk just to have sex with somebody that you just met. It just does not compute with me. Again, I'm not in that situation. I'm way past the my, my 20s where maybe I would look at it a little bit different, but just take it from somebody who's older, who's been, who, who's seen things, maybe might be a little bit wiser. Be discerning, protect yourself, and find you, you'll be amazed at how much happiness that you can find being committing to fidelity in a relationship. Take it for what it is. Just a little Uncle Brandon advice for all you uh, celebrity athlete and, and high wealth people out there. All the best to you going forward, I guess.
So that's going to do it for this episode of Facts Over Fan. And we may have a big announcement next week. Um, stay tuned to our social media on Instagram and Twitter at FOF underscore show. Uh, stay tuned for that. Otherwise, as always, love God, love each other, be a good sport, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>